This week on Full-Time Roundup, international break shuts everything down. U.S. men's national team have two home matches. France are on the verge of clinching their place for the Euros. Messi just continues to do his thing in Argentina, and we give you our final predictions for the leagues. Here we go. And welcome into the Full-Time Roundup. My name is Matt Gesselin with you, as always, with Daniel Brackett here. Daniel, pleasure to see you, as always, on a Monday. Uh, we are virtual this evening, but, of course, still here to talk about European football. Uh, quite a lot going on with international break. So there are games, games, games across the board. And then quickly we'll turn around and uh, Premier League and all the domestic leagues will be back starting this week. So um, as we always do, what are we wearing today to kick us off? So, well, first off, good to see you, Matt. Hope you had a good weekend. Um, so to start out, the jersey I'm wearing, it's a little bit of an, a throwback. I actually sent this to you via text uh, last week because you mentioned you played ODP. Well, I'll raise you one. I played as well. Um, this was from 2017. I actually went with the North Carolina camp to Alabama and uh can't really remember how we did if i'm being completely honest but it still fits and it has my favorite number number six on the back so kind of had to rock this one today how about you matt well first of all the fact that yours still fits mine definitely would not fit me at this point so we'll we'll leave it at that um i am not rocking a kit today although i do have a backdrop here like i said we are virtual but thought this would be a little bit of a time to explain the backdrop some of you have seen this before it is my soccer wall um, so I have a, a signed, personalized Ronaldinho kit um, that is for me, dedicated to me from Ronaldinho, one of the greatest footballers of all time. Um, I have all my scarves behind me. So we have Chelsea, Portland Timbers, uh, Independence, a French one above, as well as an NYCFC one representing all the teams. And then um, a really cool poster that I have is uh, a little bit like a flyer of all the World Cups from the very first one to 2002. Um, all compiled into a poster put on my wall. So no kit today, but thought that kind of made up for it. Um, hopefully the the listeners won't give me too much of a hard time as I do have a kit, um, just not physically wearing one. Um, Daniel, like I mentioned, there's a lot going on. Um, one thing that we haven't touched on that we want to touch on a little bit here on the show is the U.S. men's national team. Of course, um, international break, a lot going on with European games that are more meaningful. Um, but there was a, you know, anytime the U.S. men's national team or U.S. women's national team play, for that matter, it is a, still a big deal, um, something that we want to touch on. So uh, we're going to break down Uzbekistan's here, um, the game that was played on Saturday night. Unfortunately, um, I was at the Independence match actually shooting photography for that game, so I was not able to watch. I know you were um, out supporting your Charlotte 49ers trying to, to shock the world, but I'm sure you had an eye on it as well. So um, keeping on the themes of the jerseys, uh, Daniel, what were your takes on the, the new kit that the U S men's national team were, were rocking? Well, so the, uh, I like the blue and the red, I think it looks nice. I mean, England did have that, uh, not too long ago. So it's kind of a copy Nike, just kind of plugging and playing there. But what I wanted to really hear your opinion on is the one with the statue of Liberty. If you saw that it had Tim way, I'm, pretty sure that was an official release i could be wrong on that and it could be just uh bait on the internet but did you see that 
I did. It is definitely bait. I took it. Oh, um, Hercules Gomez got me on on Twitter or X oh. um, with the the Toronto kit. Um, was John with uh, who was it? Was it? Uh, I think it was Alfonso Davies, if I remember correctly, with um, the the CN Tower from Toronto replacing the Statue of Liberty. So they are they are making the rounds. Different um, national national kits with with mo monuments and, and iconic buildings. So I think you got fooled there. But um, I definitely oh. like the kit. Um, uh, you know, uh, the first time I saw it uh, a couple months back, I wasn't really too fond of it, to be honest. The, the U.S. Men's National Team kit. Um, has always been kind of hit or miss for me. Uh, I don't really understand why. It's really just a simple iconic kit that they could put together and keep consistently. Um, Nike just, I think, overdoes it for a lot of these clubs and, and countries and nations, however you want to define that. But, you know, all in all, I think um, this kit, like I said, it, it looked pretty good. Um, a lot of the guys that wore it stood out uh, on Saturday, looked really good wearing it. Uh, one of those being Matt Turner uh, to, to jump right into the breakdown uh, for the for the game. Of course, um, you know he's our number one. I don't think there's any doubt based on how he played. Uh, you know, a couple of major key saves early on in the match uh, as the team was kind of getting their their legs. Of course, international break is is tricky time, right? Uh, you only get a few weeks and, and a few days, mostly with with your teammates in the international windows. A lot of guys traveling from Europe all the way to the United States, playing in St. Louis. Uh, another hot, hot afternoon in the Midwest as well. Uh, but Matt Turner took Matt Turner looked like our number one stood out to me, um, and and looked good in in his goalkeeper kit. Not sure how you felt about it, but I think it's a pretty clear consensus that Matt Turner is our number one going forward. Absolutely. I mean that one v one. Um, stop he had when Reem kind of got stripped of the ball early on was fantastic save. He's been really good at Forest to start the year off. Um, so I don't really see anyone in the near future kind of beating him out for that position. Maybe Gaga Solanya near term. But for now, um, I think Matt Turner is pretty safe at that position. Now, a neck, another player that we, we wanted to talk about was the second goal scorer, uh, Ricardo Pepe. Um, he's 20 years old and he just has a insanely good uh, sc scoring record for the U.S. national team. Um, and <clears throat> the key for him going forward is going to be maybe one, his relationship with Greg, as he's probably still mad about not getting called up to the World Cup, especially being our top scorer um, in the qualifying matches, but also. Is he going to get playing time kind of as second fiddle to Luke De Jong at PSV? Uh, what what do you think? Yeah, obviously going from one end of the pitch to the other, just as important, uh, you know, putting the ball in the net as stopping it. Um, couldn't agree with you more. I think the biggest thing is going to be getting playing time for him at a club level. You know, moving to PSV, who are currently top of the table in Eredivisie, um, arguably one of the better teams. Uh, you know, it's just a, a continued step. And you'll hear that that thought from me throughout this conversation about the U.S. men's national team players uh, as we kind of get more into the breakdown of some of the key players going forward. But, uh, you know, again, just a natural progression, getting more quality um, opponents right it, week in, week out. Uh, obviously, there, you know, some would say the Bundesliga is, is a more competitive league than Eredivisie, but, you know, he's going to get... Um, Champions League football as well with PSV or at least European exposure through Europa League as well. So, um, you know, it, it's a very interesting dynamic, uh, a really hard time as far as 
where to play him because all he does is score. Um, and we have a guy on the roster that everyone is so high on and Florian Bolt Balgun. Um, and, and of course he's projected to be the number one and everyone's raving and, and ranting about him, but didn't look great. Um, I thought the, the team, you know, struggled to find kind of find him a little bit. Again, it's a new system for him. This is his first time really working with this group. Uh, and so, you know, Ricardo Pepe comes in, puts the ball in the back of the net, makes, makes some conversation and, and some question marks for Greg going forward. Um, another one that, you know, that we wanted to kind of just, um, you know, allude, allude to is uh, Luca Della Torre, uh, a player that I've kept an eye on in the last couple of windows, been really, really fond of him in the midfield. Um, kind of an engine, you know, I would say more so a, I'm going to put this in a really nice way, more of a poor man's Tyler Adams. I think he's come in and done a really, really good job with Tyler being hurt the last couple of windows. Um, and so that's kind of where, you know, of course there's going to be a lot of depth and, and a lot of youngsters and a lot of opportunity with this squad. So uh, he, it's a big loss. Um, we saw one of, um, you know, the, the, call-ups come in um, and, and kind of fill his place, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Uh, but, you know, a big loss for the team. Again, uh, what will that, what will that change for the roster on Tuesday when we play against Oman? Um, but yeah, all in all, you know, a, a just a pretty, pretty unscathed, clean uh, game for the U S men's national team. I think he was the only one that came out of that um, hurt. Now, when, when, when you say Luca Della Torre is a poor man's Adams, that. I, I don't hate that take, but I think he is. They're, they're very different players in a way. They do play the same position, but I think Adams defensively is is pretty rock solid. But when it comes to the offensive side of of play, I think Luca De La Torre has him in almost every category. His passing, his ball progression, all of that is is better in my eyes. So it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see based off the uh, next year of of uh, club games, who is going to be competing for those three midfield spots? Because it seems like Moose is almost a lock um, most of the time, and McKinney's a lock. So who's going to play with those two midfielders? Adams, Luca, even, I mean, Tessman, Tessman plays, he didn't play great. Um, and there's a few more kind of chopping at the bit to get a spot like an Aronson. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how that midfield battle uh, shakes out over time. It, it really is. And, and you mentioned uh, they do play, you know, their style of play is different, but they do play together in that same role in the midfield. I think that's kind of where I'm getting at is that, you know, there are going to be players ahead of Luca De La Torre primarily when everyone's fit um, that will, that'll take that place. Right. And Tyler Adams being one of those. Um, you also mentioned some other players that we could, we'll definitely look at here shortly as far as who's, you know, in the running for that midfield a uh, good problem to have, right? I think that's something that we'll touch on before we close out the segment here on, on US men's national team is just that overall depth and where this team is going. So um, for me, it's it's a it's a good problem to have, um, you know, that we're talking about a player. Of course, you never want to see him hurt. So hopefully he gets back and is fit, um, can, can continue to develop at the club level before the next break in, in October, um, which will have some more stiffer competition. That'll be interesting to see how that team comes together as well. But, um, you know, you mentioned a couple other guys here. Wanted to touch on them. Uh, you know, uh, Christian Pulisic, of course. Yunus uh, uh, Musa, you mentioned just a minute ago. Uh, you know, Timothy Weah as well earlier when we were talking about kind of the, the upfront players. And, of course, Weston McKinney and, and Anthony Jedi Robinson, all guys that really stood out to me last night or on Saturday as, as just that 
that core, right? I think mm -hmm. that's kind of what they've established themselves as. They're that core, that steady presence that you know in the big tournaments or the big moments. And again, we can you look at Uzbekistan and Oman in this window. Are those really that type of competitive opponents? No, but you still want to see that group grow together, mature, play alongside each other, get to understand how they play. Um, and just kind of develop and continue to grow as a, as a unit. Um, so those guys looked fantastic to me. Christian, of course, got the the PK third goal at the end of the game late. Um, but any thoughts on kind of, you know, any other players that you would classify as that that core or or kind of that consistent starting 11 right out of the gate? Um, I, mean, I thought Wei's goal was was well taken especially so early on in the match it's, it's good to get off kind of the mark as as soon as possible especially with a team that is probably going to sit back for as long as possible scoring that goal kind of they had to shred up their game plan and kind of kind of restart from there um I, I do agree that's that's the core you could arguably add maybe a few more players but for the most part that's the core that we've been working with for for over a year or two now um so so i do agree with that um Polisic was captain of that game, correct? Or was it Jim Ream? I couldn't remember which one. I assumed it was Polisic. I'm pretty sure it's Polisic. I think he is the club captain at this point or national captain. Um, but I, we can definitely double check. Um, and so I guess moving on from the core, uh, we were kind of talking offline. Do you see Tim Ream in, in the 2026 picture? And if you don't, do you kind of start phasing him out of play and what, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think there, it's a position that we really need to develop. Um, you know, there are youngsters that, you know, Chris Richards got some playing time this, this week. Um, mm -hmm. and he's, he's starting to kind of get, you know, you hope he gets some playing time at crystal palace this year. That's a tough squad to get in behind, especially with uh, Mark Gahey starting for for England. Um, you know, you have players like Mark McKenzie, who's who's in Ghent, um, and then Cameron Carter Vickers at Celtic. You know, just younger players. To your point, you know, Tim Ream is thirty five years old, right? Twenty twenty six. He'll be almost closer to forty than he is thirty. He'll be the old man on the team. Of course, you know, he has that veteran presence. Um, you, you kind of want some of that, but at some point, will some of these youngsters be more of that veteran presence? Presidents, presence. Um, you also have a guy that we mentioned last time that seems to be having a resurgence in John Brooks. How does he fit into this roster? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, Tim Tim Ream has been a great serviceman and done a fantastic job in bridging the gap between kind of where we were as a national team to where we're going. So for me, if you're asking me if I think he should be on this 2026 roster, um, no. Do I think that there's a place for him right now in the next year? Maybe, just yeah. to kind of get some of those guys going. But I think ultimately you'll see Tim Ream phased, phased out, um, and rightfully so. And and again, uh, credit where credit's due, he's been a fantastic player uh, and, and done a tremendous service and, and still playing at a really high level for Fulham in the Premier League too, uh, week in, week out. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you. Uh, I do think that having that veteran presence in the locker room wouldn't hurt. Now, him taking game time from other people, I, I don't like as much. I, I would rather see other people starting, especially against uh, Uzbekistan or in Oman. Uh, you had some good shots with Mark McKenzie, Carter Vickers, and 
a sleeper other than Brooks, which I think he might never get called back up again after his fallout with, with Greg, which is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But I think a young Joshua Winder, he's at Benfica right now. Um, he apparently he was given a first team squad number. So he, they're, he's showing promise there and they're going to be selling Antonio Silva soon. So if he can fill the boots of Antonio Silva at Benfica, then I, I could actually see him starting um, in the 2026 World Cup. I, I liked what I saw at the, was it the U21 tournament, U20 tournament a couple mm-hmm. months back. I, I liked what I saw there. And uh, I think he is definitely going to be in contention for 2026. Now, Oh, sorry. You really no, know. you also have you also have, uh, of course, Christopher Lund, who got very few minutes on on Saturday. So another option there as well. Uh, I do believe he's more of a left back, though. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, again, if you're talking about just depth in the back line, you know, we mentioned Anthony Robinson, Jedi, as as he goes by. I don't think you know if, if Christopher Lund uh, wants to be part of this roster long term. I think he needs to look at can he play a little bit more in that center position um, mm-hmm. as well. So there's definitely a lot of options, like you said. Um, and and again, Tim is is kind of you know on the way out uh, now. Going to to the play on the field itself, um, I alluded to this earlier. You know, saw a little bit of a struggle trying to get the ball to to Florian at the top. Um, I think some of that, you know, we heard Greg Berhalter, Greg Greg Berhalter, excuse me, saying his name is just such a difficult task for me sometimes. Uh, <laughs> talk about you know the slowness and the pace of the of the play um, and building up until we get into that to the attacking third and then kind of having a change of change of pace and and more attacking. One thing I, I saw from this game, and, and it's great to hear Greg talk about all that stuff, is that it looked exactly the same as what we saw from the team at the World Cup in, in Qatar, right? Again, a lot of possession. You know, even against the Dutch, we still had, you know, moments where we controlled the game. They the Dutch kind of sat in, allowed us to kind of come at them. Um, but we didn't really have an uh, very familiar with this process at Chelsea, of course, possession for possession's sake right now. Um, you know, did you see anything different? from this, this squad, the way they were set up or the way they played, um, you know, to kind of get the ball moving forward um, and a little bit more aggressive? Or or is this just kind of what Greg is going to talk about and, and kind of be? Gosh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get upset. I've had a pretty good day so far, so I'm not trying to ruin it. But I, I'll say this. When I was frustrated because it's, it's this system that he plays and – we saw a big struggle in the World Cup was finding Ferreira. Now, the argument of Ferreira, if he should have even been on the field, is one question. But him, he struggled to get in the games. It's it's a very reoccurring thing that nines do not work in this system. And when Greg walked away from the team for a little bit um, and Hudson Ball came in, we were seeing this free-flowing, expressive national team and and, i mean we were playing not good opponents but we were running it up there wasn't per se a position like the midfield was just kind of constantly rotating and the nines were 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 pretty involved so it's pretty frustrated to go back to the structure that we have i i don't believe that we should be playing with the structure i think we should be kind of free flow just people fill in positions kind of as they come so it's it's pretty frustrating to see this and i mean only 
only scoring three was a problem for me, but we also gave up double-digit shots with our A-team against Uzbekistan. I mean, this it's just not going to work. If we really want to challenge the World Cup, I think that we have to look past Greg Berhalter. But if that will ever happen, I, I, I don't know, Matt. Yeah, and you touched on it a little bit, um, and, and we do want to get to the state of the U.S. men's national team and, and just U.S. soccer as a whole um, really quickly. Of course, uh, the women being knocked out, everyone knows, early at the the FIFA Women's World Cup in um, Australia and New Zealand. Um, the men's national team, of course, without Greg, um, winning the the gold, or the, excuse me, the CONCACAF uh, Nations League tournament but then losing um arguably with our c squad in, in gold cup later on in the summer um you know to your point it is it is frustrating i think the men's national team for for the sake of this conversation women are a little bit different boat we can definitely spend some more time on them in a different episode you know greg being part of the roster and being part of the program and the project of course um, we heard him talk about how the plan was always for him to be involved for two cycles um you know which which is just so frustrating to hear you know with his back passes and, and his sneakers so we'll just leave it at that um but he came in you know he got the team stable got them into a good decent solid place bringing in some young talent like malik tillman who we haven't talked about or brendan aronson or you know just the development of Yunus musa over the years so you know he's gotten into a good place but i think there's a there's a limitation to where we can go like you said and it's time for as we look at the the arguably the most talented pool of american athletes that we have playing for the match for the national team now we need to match that with a, a manager that is of that level um, absolutely I, I do not think greg berhalter will take us there like you said and for him to be thrown back into the project and to say as a as a federation that we went through this whole learning curve and we went through the whole vetting process and you know what greg was the best coach bullshit there's no way that Greg Berhalter, after if they genuinely went through a fact-finding mission or process to find the best manager, that they came up with this this fella. Uh, so I don't want to hear that bullshit. So for me, it's it's a little frustrating. It's a little bit concerning. You know, we, there was players that came out on his behalf. I think that's a little bit of a uh, problem going forward. I don't think the players should really they should have some involvement, but they shouldn't be dictating who the manager is they they play for the manager as they do at every other place and clubs and other nations so for me and and apologies it's a little bit of a tangent but um uh just go back to where you came from and and let's just move on and and say thank you to greg but let's find the better let's find that next manager that's going to take us to you know the semifinals or uh the final of a world cup versus yep oh we played great against the netherlands in the quarterfinal and we got there and we probably maybe shouldn't have even gotten out of the group with some some luck. Um, but you know what? Let's bring that guy back. Yeah, just to just to kind of finish off this this uh segment, I, I, I saw an article uh today actually. I think it was on the Athletic and it was uh has has England outgrown Southgate? And in my head I actually read has the US national team outgrown Greg. Uh if if you look at facts. That's what we do here. I mean, we do have biased opinions, but we do try to back it up with facts. Greg was a mediocre MLS coach. And now, in the last five years, 50 to 65% of our players are playing abroad. 
for arguably way better coaches than Greg is. So the fact that Pulisic kind of was a main proponent on him and Greg's relationship kind of surprised me, considering he's been coached by some of arguably the world's best coaches. I just find that a little odd. Um, but it, it, it is frustrating. And as we kind of as we kind of pivot here, um, what do you think of the support on uh, on Saturday night? It's a little disappointing. I think it goes back to everything that we've been just talking about, right? I think there is frustration within the, the supporters. Um, you know, of course, the roster is starting to turn turn positive at all positions. You know, there's depth everywhere that we'll get to here in a second. Um, but to say, and look, I think when you when you put it in perspective, we played Uzbekistan, right? There there will be a game in the October window where we play Germany here at home, uh, a German team that we'll get definitely into after the break that that's going to come ready to play um, for, for reasons. If you don't know yet, like I said, we'll get into that's going to be a true test of, of where, where this project sits, not only from a player standpoint and development standpoint, but from a, a supporter standpoint, um, you mentioned it was pretty poor. It was less than 20,000. I think it was like 15-5, if I remember the stat off the top of my head, uh, for a game in arguably what a lot of people are donning as the home of U.S. soccer, St. Louis. Um, a lot of, you know, some of the best U.S. men's national team players have come out of St. Louis and, and things of that nature. So they've kind of donned themselves as home of the U.S. soccer. And for that display to be 15,000 fans was pretty pretty appalling, to be honest. You look mm -hmm. at the flip side of it. Now, of course, every time that U.S. men's national team plays Mexico, the stadium's full. And, and I would say probably 80% of the fans are Mexican fans versus U.S. men's national team fans. They had 52,000 fans in Dallas. Now, that's astronomically different, right? We're not even talking apples to oranges there. So for, for this United States men's national team to go to that next level, the, the hype needs to kind of continue. And I think bringing back a manager that already was kind of not in the good graces of the supporters, um, not all, maybe not everyone felt that way. I shouldn't speak for everyone, but a large swath of fans were not thrilled that he's back. And so the question is going to be going forward is what does he do to turn the tide? Is it simply winning? Is it being more receptive and more open or, you know, kind of where does he fall into not just manager of the squad, but also the face and the vision going forward, you know, arguments and, and issues with Gio Reyna, they need to be resolved, you know, stuff like that just continues to alienate the fan base, you know, arguably the most talented player in the pool mm -hmm. uh, doesn't get, doesn't even get a look, you know, doesn't get a phone call after very contentious um, falling out during the world cup. How does that get handled? You know, so where is his future in the project? A lot of that's going to be, you know, kind of leaning in and, and all part of how does this support continue to grow for, for the national team? Absolutely. And, and a lot of, a lot of it's going to be who he calls up. A lot of it's going to be, I mean, winning cares all, but if you're not playing the right players and giving people who you should be giving opportunities for, that's going to, that's going to be a big deal for for fans. So, an example: Do you go against, say, you say Germany? We play them later on this year. Do you go with a Dest or do you go with Scally at right back? Both offer completely different options, but both are are very viable. So, so options like that, or the number nine position, you got four to five strikers who 
who've all been been on fire this year. Who who's your one, who's your first guy? Which we can probably answer follow. But who, who's the second? Who's the third? Who's the fourth? In the in the depth chart, and, and it's going to be really interesting how how Greg sorts through through this this depth that we have that we I don't think we've ever had before. Yeah, and to your point, the call-ups are going to be huge, right? And and just to uh, round out this segment here, the depth is is a great pro- great problem to have, like we mentioned a little earlier. Um, but to your point, you know who is coming who is coming into this roster? Who's making the fans get excited about seeing you know to be seen at at the game? Um, Christian Pulisic's great, Captain America. He's been here for a long time now. Can we get some of these younger guys in, and will they be able to kind of take us to that next level? So, um, you know. Great, great discussion about the US men's national team. Um, something that we'll definitely keep an eye on for, of course, as Americans and fans of, of the men's national team and, and just seeing where that develops. We will take a quick break. On the other side of the break, like we mentioned at the upfront, a lot of European qualifying games, a lot of European games in general. Um, there's also some World Cup qualifying going on and a couple other areas as well. So we will be right back after a quick break. Uh, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, aka X now. Um, my handle is Life of M. Gesslin. Daniel's is Liverpool CLTFC. We are working on a specific handle for this show, so stay tuned for that. Um, you can also find us, uh, last episodes have not been, but they are now posted to Apple Podcasts. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your other, wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. So, uh, like I said, we'll be right back and more European football to come. And welcome back to the full-time roundup. Uh, we touched on the U.S. men's national team before the break. We will now start to jump into the European qualifying games as they are getting ready for Euro 2024 next summer in Germany. Uh, Daniel, um, want to touch on the hosts. They have been in the news quite a bit the last uh, 48 hours. But before that, uh, of course, myself being French, uh, you know, one of the teams that basically has qualified at this point alongside England. Um, two favorites going into this or anyone else that surprises you so far in the early stages of qualifying? Yeah, France has been a, a perennial winner in Europe for, for the last, it feels like, four to, four to eight years just based off cycles. Um, when you have Mbappe and just the insane depth of talent that they have. It's it's always the next man up mentality. We've seen that in every competition too, as one player drops with an injury, another plays arguably better in his place. Um, so I think France is definitely the nailed on favorite for Euros pending um, any serious injuries. Uh, England has, has gone to finals before. They just cannot get over the hump. I don't know if they ever will. Well, it's coming um, home, it, though. It's coming home it, eventually, right? Apparently. Um, maybe Kane getting his first trophy at Bayern this year might like make some voodoo magic happen for England. But I do have a sleeper team that I was just looking actually today at and at their score and, and who was playing. And I was like, damn, that is a solid XI. That is Portugal. Now, I can't stand their coach, Roberto Martinez is not a good manager can't believe he got the job they should have hired jose Mourinho. they did the right thing by uh firing um god what's his name um the guy who got fired from poland today 
uh, Fernando Santos, I think is his name. Um, so I do think they are a sleeper if Martinez can just not mess them up. He already messed up the golden generation of Belgium, so I'm not exactly thrilled to see him coaching Portugal, but they have so much talent as well. They do. You mentioned uh, an absolute drubbing today, a 9-0 um, win against Luxembourg. Ronaldo not on the pitch, uh, not even on the squad, actually. I think it was due to yellow card accumulation. Not not exactly sure. You know he was fuming, though. He probably is in the locker room taking credit for all nine of those goals, saying that they should go to his, his total tally. Um, you mentioned Roberto Martinez, touching briefly on that. Um, you know, completely agree with your sentiment as far as overrated manager you know had arguably the greatest generation of belgian football and and really didn't do anything with it so now going to portugal uh, of course another uber talented squad you know you have the likes of, of bernardo silva renato sanchez leo uh rafael leao just to name three off the top of my head that are arguably world class at any any club um bruno fernand bruno fernand uh, Fernandez, I'm going to say Bruno Fernandez. I know that's not how he wants us to pronounce it, but it's too hard otherwise. Uh, and, and countless others. So it will be interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, the question for me is is kind of one that we'll touch on as well uh, later on. Another another goat of the game is is what do you do with Ronaldo? You know, he still wants to play. He still wants to get up there and be the all time goal scorer. Um, he still drives this 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 national team, right, Daniel? I mean, of course, you know, he's getting up there in age, but he still wants to be the man. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Ronaldo when it comes to the Portugal setup. I I'm, I'm tired of him being, I get he's in the setup. Cause you want, if you're one of the best players of all time, you want him in the locker room, but he's not in the locker room to push the younger players. He's in there for stats and it seems just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not in camp, so I, I can't speak too much on it. But I think they are so much better without him. Agreed. So much better. I think Agreed. Kyle Ramos is a stud, too. And he's yep. going to fill his boots when it comes to goals. And I'm just, I would like him to be more of a mentor and not the talisman, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. It will be interesting to see if Roberto Martinez has learned from his time in Belgium, though, to make those tough decisions with a with a player of that caliber. Uh, another manager that has come into his squad is uh, Lu Luciano Spalletti uh, with the Italians, um, leaving Napoli on what it was a very strange dynamic. Went on sabbatical, and then um, Roberto Mancini leaves the national team post almost out of nowhere. Uh, Spalletti jumps back in, takes over for the Italian squad who drew to North Macedonia. Uh, Daniel, Italy uh, is looking a little bit dicey potentially for qualification. They only have four points after three matches in a group with England, like we mentioned, who's already basically qualified, and Ukraine, who who really put on a, a great display uh, against England on, on Saturday, um, getting a draw there. So you know, thoughts on the Italian squad? Are the Azuri back? Um, are they going to make a run? And even potentially, are they even just going to qualify for this tournament? That's a good question. Um, Italy, Spalletti's got to figure Italy out. Uh, I don't think they have that strong of, of a team, um, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so they'll have to lean on like the likes of Barella, Immobile, and, and, and some maybe uh, a Zaniolo. Um, Mancini was probably smart 
resigning when he did. Um, I mean, they didn't make the World Cup. I was going to say, didn't make the World Cup. So, won the Euros, though, but then didn't they make won the, the Euros. World Cup. Yep. Yeah, which was kind of surprising because they, I feel like Italy never has the best squad out there, but they play a very pragmatic way. Honestly, they're, the Italian uh, style is, isn't as successful in in club ball but you can see based off of group stage type games like a the champions league the europa league and like the world cup and the euros this is where italy italy style like uh, thrives and so i think they are always a dark horse to go far into upset teams if they make the tournament but when it comes to group stage games like this Kind of just qualifying. Uh, Spalletti's going to have to figure it out, and he's going to have to figure it out fast. Agreed. Uh, two teams that we want to touch on briefly in Group A that are, um, you know, having a moment. I would say one more of a surprise than the other. Scotland leading the group. Uh, they have won all five games, Daniel. Uh, and of course, that means that Spain, who are a perennial power, and boy did they show off some firepower the other day, um, are in second place with. Uh, with six points, so nine points back from Scotland right now. Um, thoughts on either of those squads? Of course, it looks like Scotland's going to qualify, but I would I would think, from my personal opinion, Spain is the bigger story and what they can do when they do get into this tournament in, in 2024. In terms of storylines, I think that Scotland's the bigger storyline right now. Now, when it comes to the tournament, I think, obviously, Spain's going to take the, take, take the gold there. Um, Scotland is kind of quietly kind of rolled into like one of their, maybe a golden generation. They have, I mean, McTominay, Billy Gilmore, um, again from Aston Villa, they get a solid core. Um, so they, they can find the goals um, and kind of defend as a unit together. Andy Robinson's their captain. Um, so great leadership there. That's a biased take, but uh, from what I've seen behind the scenes, he seems like a great guy. Um, so I, 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 I'm very impressed with Scotland and, and the coaching that's happened so far on how they've kind of pulled off with not, I mean, Norway is no slouch. Uh, I mean, Georgia and Cyprus are obviously not great, but, but, but the likes of Scotland, Spain, and Norway, I'd have them probably ranked third and, and they've kind of, they've kind of surprised me now when it comes to Spain, I, I know that you, you love Maratta and you know who who else you love you love Lamal and I just want you to kind of kind of talk about him for a little bit I do love Lamine Yamal I mean is there really any words to describe this kid 16 years old there's been conversation and again we're going quick here so we're not going to spend too much time on this we'll definitely talk about him throughout the course of the year whether that's for Barcelona at this tournament in 2024 and beyond because I think this kid is just absolutely a no-brainer and going to be leading leading this this nation uh, and Barcelona his club for for years to come. That's how good this kid is. There is not there is debate about can he keep it up? Are we playing him too much? Uh, you know we've had that issue with Spain before with Pedri and Gavi. Um, so definitely concerning if they're going to overplay him. Um, but for me, just an absolute absolute stud and going to continue to grow and continue to get into it. Um, one thing that we do want to touch on, and, and like I mentioned at the top of this segment, some big news coming out of Germany, um, completely out of their end of the spectrum right now. As good as Lamine Yamal is, Germany is just that bad. Um, losing 4-1 to one against Japan on Saturday, Daniel, and then um, Hansi Fleck 
oh my goodness, the first manager in German, well, not the history, first German manager in 123 years. So, you know, maybe history to be sacked by, by the German Federation. Um, is there really a concern about this German national team? And, and if they weren't being the host, would they even be qualifying right now? They are in trouble. Um, they have been bad for, for a while now. I mean, I think their last time they were good is when they won the World Cup. Since then, they've, they've been pretty poor. They they have not transitioned well with with the new era of players. They do have good players. But when when you look back at the team that won the World Cup, you have a, a Schweinsteiger, you have Tony Cruz, you have a, a Muller. You have all these studs. And they played as a team, and this this team seems a little bit more individualistic. They haven't progressed. Some of their careers have stalled. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. Never would I have thought, especially, I mean, you got to remember, they beat Brazil at, at Brazil 7-1 not that long ago. So to think about how, like, the fall from grace that Germany has had, it's it's honestly shocking. And I thought Hansi Flick was a good, a decent manager, at least, at at Bayern, he won a Champions League, so I'm kind of surprised that his kind of failure to to kind of I don't know make make the boys believe again and kind of get some results. It was a pretty far fall from grace. You mentioned that that thrashing of Brazil. We'll get to Brazil as well as Argentina uh, and Comabol here in a second. Um, do you want to just wrap up here? Um, the next window, there are games still going on as we record this. There were games today on Monday. There's games tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, and then there'll be a break, uh, and the qualifying will continue in October. And then the last round of qualification, most teams have about four games left. So we're getting to the end. Uh, we'll be during that November break. So again, a lot to wrap up here. Euro 2024 is going to be a, a great, fun tournament. Um, but we are looking a little bit further ahead too, Daniel. There is, like I mentioned, World Cup qualifying already uh, in Comabal. Uh, Argentina played the other night. Our man, everyone's man, the man of the minute, the man of the hour, apparently the man of all time, Lionel Messi, just continues to do his thing, scoring another Galazzo free kick as he only does the way he does it. My bigger question for you, Daniel, going forward with Argentina is just how long does Argentina need Messi for? And how long do they lean on Messi to be the, the player that takes them as far as they can go? Oh, wow. Um, well, we saw the last team that depended on Messi like this struggled for a good two, two, three years, which was Barcelona. I think as long as Messi's in the picture, they will rely on him because they they'll know at the end of the day that he might just produce some magic. Um, the squad's good, so but when you when a player who's been playing for more than a decade, arguably almost two decades, it's that's a tough void to fill. Um, so it's honestly a hard question. You also have the likes of Di Maria that'll probably walk out in the sunset with him and some older other players that will get phased out. So it's really about the new captain. Who's going to step up and kind of fill that void as a leadership perspective? I think that the coach, Scaloni, is is an excellent coach. So I think he'll be able to figure out it's more of the locker room and the leadership who's going to have to step up more when Messi walks away. Now, he'll... He'll play Copa America. Will he play the World Cup at 38? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a bench roll, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Him and Ronaldo are both in a weird spot here. So we'll kind of see what, what they do. 
Totally agree. I think you mentioned Lionel Scalini. Um, doesn't want to be the manager that that says Messi is no longer playing, right? It's kind of going to have to be a conversation with each other and say, hey, this is mutual. I agree with you. I don't think he plays in 2026. In the meantime, enjoy it. Enjoy it while we can. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to qualify, you know, especially with the new size of the World Cup. Argentina is going to qualify. So if he wants to play now and get, you know, continue to get reps, let him play and, and just enjoy it for what it is. You know, the, the moments that he creates, whether that's the free kick goal or making guys look silly, you know, it's also, um, well, you know, kind of like a Neymar situation for Brazil to kind of lean us into that conversation too. you know, scores three goals the other night is the all time leading goal scorer for Brazil. I mean, can you say more? I mean, just name off some of the players that he's now passed. You know, some of these guys are, you just take them for, for granted. But then when we look back on history and we say, hey, you know, we got to see Lionel Messi or Ronaldo play or Neymar, just embrace it. You know, why do we always have to have these conversations about, oh, when are they going to be done? When are they, they going to leave? Or how do we get rid of them? Who cares? Again, a team like Brazil is also going to qualify, right? Brazil not qualifying for the World Cup would be, I don't know. The world would have to end almost. <laughs> so just enjoy them while you have them. You know, you're seeing you're seeing history as you watch each game. Um, you know, to me, that's that's the bigger story. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need to spend too much time on Argentina and Brazil because, like I said, they are both going to make it. Um, so, Daniel, with that being said, who are your other four in Comabal? Uh, I think it's four, four and a half spots almost, essentially, with the playoff game. But let's just make it six total. Who are your other four? that off the top of your head are going to qualify for the World Cup coming out of South America. Well, and yes, first I'm holding first. you to it right now. This this okay. will be held for 2026. I'll, I'll, I mean, I think Uruguay is a is is a really good team, especially with Darwin Nunez and, and Federico Valverde. Um, now for that four spot, Colombia is kind of in a new era, so I'm not really sure, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Paraguay. Paraguay, for some reason, is always frisky, and they they just find a way to park the bus and grab a point, smash and grab last second. So, so you said they were, what, four and a half spots? Mm-hmm. So yep, we'll say I'm four. Let's get, just say four. I'm going to say Paraguay as my, as my fourth. Solid spot. I mean, I'm going to go Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay. Oh, do I want to throw Colombia in there? I'll throw Colombia. I agree with you. There's a little transition going on there, but I think that they have enough firepower, a nation that is so um, steeped in in football history. Chile could be a fifth, maybe. But I think most of Comabal is going to get going to qualify, which is kind of crazy if you look at it. Um, mm. And similarly in in Afcon, you know, a lot of those teams are going to be able to, especially with, like I said, the expansion to 40, 48 teams in the World Cup in twenty twenty six. Of course, Afcon has their own tournament beforehand, um, which will impact European games that we'll get to during the season. But um, any thoughts on you know some of the teams that we don't necessarily talk too much about or hear too much about on a daily basis um, coming out of Africa? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned it because I, I've been really excited about, especially one team, Nigeria, Golden Generation, unbelievably attacking talent. So they they played uh, they played a, a squad. I can't even I can't recognize the flag, so I honestly don't know who they played. But they they scored a lot, and they had Osimen and Awonyi Awonyi, excuse me, up top on the wings. They had Ihenacho, 
um, and Lookman on the wings. Oneka from Brentford, Wolfred and Didi from Leicester, and Calvin Bassey uh, as a center back. So that is a star-studded squad. And they had guys off the bench as well. Not even mentioning that, they had Bonifaci, Joe Aribo, Chukweze off the bench. I mean, this is probably one of the better African teams I think I've ever seen. Um, and a couple, just a couple quick other mentions here. Um, Senegal is always gonna is gonna challenge with Sadio Mane. They have Ismail Sar, uh, Ferland Mendy, Adrisa Gay. They have Kouli Bali. Can't forget about him. So they have they have some good they have some guys there, no doubt. And then Ivory Coast is the third team I wanted to mention. They got Sebastian Allaire, um, Adingra who made his debut for Brighton week one. Uh, Sangare, who's now in the Premier League, Maxwell Corne, uh, Kosonu, who's on Leverkusen center back. Um, so th- they got some, they got some studs as well. So I'm, I'm actually really, really excited about Apcom. I think it's going to be the strongest one that we've seen in a while. Um, so just kind of other, also being salty that Mo Salah will be out for Liverpool for a few. For a few weeks, I, I I think this is going to be the best AFCON to date. It it should be. You mentioned those three teams. Of course, there's a whole host of other nations, and sometimes there's always a sleeper that kind of just pops up. Um, it does impact uh, a, a lot of the European window, like you mentioned. Uh, players will be gone for extended periods of time, so that's always kind of something to keep an eye on. And of course, our job here will be to let you guys know how that's going to impact our squads and and various teams across Europe. So uh, we touched a lot of international football here. We're going to take a quick break, one more break. On the other end of the uh, break, though, we're going to have some housekeeping things, Daniel. Uh, Windows have closed, so now it is time for us to give our full predictions of uh, the leagues across the board, players of the year. Um, We also have matches coming back, so we'll we'll quickly touch on those as far as what we're going to be watching. And then, of course, as always, we'll have Daniel's best bets. Uh, Pretty strong year so far, so stick with us. We'll be right back after this quick break to wrap things up. Uh, See you in a second. And welcome back. Uh, Daniel, I mentioned it before the break, league predictions. We try and do these... Ideally, after the transfer window closes, we touched and alluded to this last week that the window closes after the start of the season, which always kind of blows my head a little bit. So we wanted to wait. We wanted to make sure that now there's no movement, no changes that can impact our picks. So we're going to go through the leagues, all four of our major leagues that we really focus on. Of course, France, I think we have an idea that PSG is probably going to win that. So we'll just leave it there. Maybe Monaco runner up. We'll just kind of get that out of the way. But what we're going to do here is we're going to run through all the leagues. Like I mentioned, we're going to do champion, runner-up, top four places, golden boot, player of the year, and golden glove. And then at the end of that, uh, we have a few things that we want to touch on just to to wrap up the signing. So, Daniel, uh, I know that somehow you and I ended up with the same Premier League choices. So would you take us through your top picks for the Premier League this season. And that's on us guys. Obviously we we want to have somewhat slightly different picks. But of course it's the Premier League that we kind of had the same, but it's it's okay. So uh I'll start out with champion. We have City um you know 117 FFP breaches. That's kind of what you get. You get you should win. You should win when you when you have that many breaches. That's kind Cheaters of never win. For. 
Well, apparently they do. So whatever, though. Now, runner up, I'm I'm proud of you, Matt. You you seem to be seeing very clearly here Liverpool as the runner up. I'm I was wondering if you'd pick uh, Arsenal or Liverpool here, and uh, I'm very pleased that you kind of went with the right pick here. Now, when it comes to top four UCL places, we also have very similar top four, which is City, Liverpool. Arsenal than Spurs. Um, I wasn't too far off. I mean, you convinced me a little bit with Arsenal, uh, with Liverpool rather, uh, but Spurs kind of have surprised me. I don't know. You know, that's a tough one. I think maybe they, they're they fighting for that fifth spot with a team like Newcastle, maybe Brighton, but I think they have too much firepower for and talent, um, especially without those two teams playing in European football as well. So uh, I think that gives me the nod for Spurs in that fourth spot. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Not playing uh, European football is going to help them a lot. Now, they are one injury away from absolutely collapsing. They are. So they are, that absolutely. Makes, that scares me pretty badly. But I'm going to trust here. Shout out to John and shout out to Max because they're going to be happy with those picks. Now, for Golden Boot, it's it's just... The it's question is more if he scores as many goals as last year or more. Right or that's a good question. Honestly, I I'm gonna say less, less goals, less goals for all competitions or just in the Premier. It's 36 no, no, goals last season. Okay, okay, fair enough. Obviously, we're talking about Erling Holland, our Golden Boot winner, um, Player of the Year. We do differ. Um, so I have Martin Odegaard from Arsenal. Uh, I think that, of course, alongside Declan Rice, he's gonna have you know just a lot of a lot of opportunity. Guys are gonna kind of be taking a little bit of their attention away from him. Last year, he was the main man. Um, he's looked already pretty strong, had a pretty big goal uh, against against Manchester United as well, and just kind of runs the, the show in the middle there. If your team is still in the top four, you kind of have some type of argument. So went with Martin Oregard. Um, you had a different different take on that, though. Yeah, I mean, the Golden Boot winner, especially if they win the league, I think the it usually you could argue, is it going to be Kevin or is it going to be um, Erling Holland? But with Kevin De Bruyne having that injury early, I don't know if he's going to be playing that big of a role in City's title push this year. So I went with the safe pick with Holland. And then Golden Glove, we also differed. I'll let you kind of start us off on that one. Yeah, I went with David Raya, um, which is an interesting one. I think he'll get a lot of playing time. And the, the sound of it is he's going to start here soon for Arsenal. I think Arsenal is still has a little bit of difficulty in the back here and there every now and then. You still see a lot of opportunity, a lot of chances. He's better with his feet than uh, Ramsdale. So for that purpose, I went with David Raya in that for the Golden Glove. You went with Ederson, which is always a solid pick. Um, you know, when you have arguably the strongest team, you're going to probably win the league. You primarily look at those players to win the award. So can't go wrong there. Um, all in all, pretty much top to bottom in the Premier League, pretty similar. Now, we will start to differ here in the next two leagues, starting off with the Bundesliga. Uh, I have kept my pick, Daniel. You have as well from preseason when we talked about this roughly in the first couple episodes. I went with RB Leipzig as my champion. It's To me, it's just as simple as math. Um, Bayern, <laughs> Bayern Munich cannot win the league every single year. And I will keep picking somebody against them until it happens. So for me, RB Leipzig, um, it looks like you went with the perennials, though, in Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, as a 23-year-old, I, I might be 40 by the time we, we get to the point where, where Bayern doesn't win the league. 
they will have some some hurdles to jump through more than usual this year. Uh, but just with the the talent of the squad, I, I just I don't see them losing this one. Now, runner up, we it's pretty obvious who who you picked here. With if with they don't Bayern win it, they it. come second, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, Byron at even fourth would be a catastrophe, and I would love to see it. Um, but I have Leverkusen as second i'm i'm in love with shabby ball i i i think this little look ahead not spoilers but i think the look ahead on friday when byron and Leverkusen, that's a that's a drawing stick to see how good are they compared to the best team in germany and we're gonna find a lot out in that game so we'll see if we'll see if i like my pick after that game now for for top four ucl we have Almost similar, different orders. Uh, I'll let you start out with your top four. Yeah, of course, RB Leipzig, Bayern Munich for me. I do have Bayer Leverkusen in there at three. Um, you have him as your runner-up for me. I think they just have a little bit uh, less talent than the other two ahead of them, so they end up in third, which is still a good season for them. And for me, the sleeper that I don't have, Bayer, Borussia Dortmund in fourth. Sorry to my buddy Max or Miles, who will be listening. Um, I have Union Berlin. I think this story continues and I think that they sneak into European football next year again for the second year in a row. Gotcha. Yeah, I had I had Bayern, I had Leverkusen, then Leipzig, because um, they're 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 a good, very very good footballing team. And then for fourth, I, I really struggled with this one because I, I did like the Berlin pick, but since they're playing Champions League, I was like maybe they'll they won't have the depth to kind of compete in both, so they'll kind of slip during that time. Um, so I did pick Dortmund. Will I live to regret it? Most likely, more likely, um, but I had to be loyal to my boy Jack and uh, show show his team some confidence. Fair enough. Now this one surprised me. Um, I picked Harry Kane for the Golden Boot. I think that's pretty pretty standard or pretty easy pick for me. You went a different direction. I respect you for it. This kid has been absolutely tearing it up the first couple of weeks. So a little bit kind of a precursor maybe, and hopefully he continues it. Yeah, Bonifaci, uh the sample size that we've seen so far is is pretty damn good here. Um, they play such a free flowing attacking football that I could just I could see him putting putting thirty up. And will Harry Kane score goals? Yes, but they they play such a structure with Tuchel's system. I just I, I like wingers more than I like a striker in that in that. So that's why I kind of went a different direction with Bonifaz. I am. I don't think he's going to be at Le- Leverkusen after the season. And I think after he drops 30 in the Bundesliga, he's going to be on his way to the Premier League or Real Madrid. That is fair. You did save Harry Kane for your player of the year in the Bundesliga, so uh, still get some notoriety there. I have Florian Wirtz, another young player that you've Good talked show. about a couple of times, so look to see him develop. Golden Glove, pretty standard and pretty awful goalkeepers across the Bundesliga, which is why you see goals, goals, goals. Um, you have Kobel from, I believe, Leverkusen. Yeah. And no, I, no, no, uh, from Dortmund. Dortmund, excuse me. Yep. Um, made some pretty bad blunders last year. I'm surprised you picked in there. Probably a coin flip for me it was Herdecki. Um, again, another kind of one of those players just kind of throw it against the wall. But there are some interesting races down in La Liga, which I want to get to, where, again, we differ pretty drastically. I think I, dra- I differ from most people, not just between us. I have Atleti winning. Um, that team just looks solid. Diego Simeone, of course, you know what you're getting from a Simeone team. Uh, yeah, Felix now gone, so that distraction's away. Um, you know, you just know what you're getting, and, and they've looked solid so far. I know you, you kind of went with the, the more 
traditional, but there's still some some question mark on which team you went with. Yeah, I, I picked Barca um, just because of the injuries in, in Madrid um, with Real Madrid. I, I like Barca a lot. I, I, I didn't hate your shout with Atletico. They've, they've looked very solid so far, so I, I think they'll definitely get top three. I just I, I, I trust Xavi and that project, especially with the new signings of Jao Cancelo and Jao Felix. I, I like them to go on and win it. And runner-up for me is Barca. Um, you have Madrid, which is pretty standard if you're going to have Barca winning it. Bridget Madrid is usually the second. Uh, for top four, I have Atleti. I have Barcelona. I have Real Madrid. Your usual, just in different order than most people probably would. My fourth team is Betis. Uh, they've looked really good. Um, they had a few little hiccups here and there, but all in all, they've they've been pretty solid. Isco is starting to um, look like his old self, and I think um, you know they're they're just kind of hanging around, and they they seem to be in the top four conversation year after year right now i actually like that pick a lot they they made some very good signings in the offseason so i i can't hate you for that fourth pick now i got barca madrid athletic athletic madrid and then i went with athletic club uh the the williams brothers plus they have some young talent love the basque region uh i just i could see them with the fantastic coach of ernesto valverde uh, i think they'll they'll sneak into fourth this year and golden boot for me is, of course, Jude, which I know is strange, uh, but I think he ends up having the golden boot somehow just in that midfield position. I went away from the striker, Daniel, but I think he just finds a way to keep putting the ball in the net. It's a hot take, but not too hot, honestly, how he started the season. I have Marata, which he's not even the starting striker as of right now for Atletico Madrid, but every every single time he gets in, he scores goals. You saw that with Atletico Madrid. You saw that with Spain this weekend. And so, will Memphis Depay stay healthy is a question too. And he's he's hurt right now. So I kind of yeah. like this pick a lot. I don't know. Morata just somehow finds the back of the net most games. So that was kind of like an off-the-wall pick, but I kind of like it. Great pick there. I have for my player of the year, uh, Antoine Griezmann, who has just looked fantastic since the World Cup. Again, even looked really good for France the other night as well. So for me... Uh, Griezmann, and there was some news with Griezmann today uh, about potentially MLS in his future, so um, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. There's some interest there. He's been very fond of the United States. but um, So I have Antoine Griezmann. Couldn't be off this list, right? You have Jude Bellingham in there as player of the year. Solid pick. I can't, I can't knock you for that. Of course, he was my golden boot. I think he's arguably one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world right now. Couldn't agree more. Um, and uh, Griezmann's always welcome here in Charlotte if he uh, if he decides to come overseas. So just wanted to put that out there in case he's listening or his entourage is listening here. But uh, yeah, Jude couldn't really overthink this one. He's been carrying Madrid, and I think he's going to continue to do so with the injuries of Vinny Jr. Um, and for Golden Glove, who do you have? I have Jan Oblak. Again, you, you kind of pick teams and you kind of go with them. I think Atleti is going to just have a strong season. Going back real quick, I think... Charlotte would be a great fit for Antoine, but he's a New York guy. I think that that's where he ends up at one of those teams real quick, just as a side note. But yeah, I've got Oblak. Um, you have uh, Ter Stegen, good pick as well, um, your, your champion. And like we mentioned with Ederson, when you pick the, the champion, a lot of those players kind of funnel down into your other teams. So pretty strong pick there. Uh, moving quickly into Serie A, uh, we both have a Milan team. Uh, no surprise there. I have Inter Milan, though, winning. Uh, you have AC Milan winning. Sure do. Sure do. And I actually took this with my own money uh, at the start of the season. So I have them. That's at, what they come here for, Daniel. That's what <laughs> the people come here for. 
I have Barcelona. In full disclosure, I do have Barcelona winning as well. But I have uh, I got Milan AC Milan at five to one, um, which I kind of like those odds. So I, I think they're going to do it. And some news that just broke this afternoon that kind of maybe changes my pick here. Um, I have for my runner-up, I have Juventus. Of course, Paul Pogba is the thing I'm discussing. If you haven't seen, he was caught doping and potentially has a four-year ban. Um, for whatever reason, I just think Juve was going to have a bounce-back season. Uh, this may change that. But uh, for me, Juventus was my runner-up pick. Uh, you have the other Milan team as your runner-up. So um, they do obviously face off this weekend as well in a derby, which is going to be fantastic to watch. Huge. The Zero. Huge game. Top four for me, of course, Inter, Juventus, AC Milan, and Atalanta. Uh, Atalanta just continue to just sneakily be a good team in Serie A. I think they, they've made Champions League before. I think Napoli has a little bit of a slip, and, and Atalanta fills that void. Um, you're very similar with, of course, AC and Inter as your top two. Napoli for third and Juventus for fourth. Um, so yeah. very type of picks. It's not like Paul was playing anyways, so right. don't really even care about that. Um, Napoli, I'm just going to lean on Oseman. Um, I do like the Ata, Atalanta pick. They, they've looked pretty good to start up the season, and they actually have a lot of attacking depth there. So I think they will compete in uh, – I actually kind of like him at the fourth spot, but I'm going to stick with Juve. Yeah, I won't hold it against you if you were to change my <laughs> prediction. Uh, you have Osimhen as your golden boot. Uh, great pick. I have Latura Martinez. He looked really good the last couple of games mm -hmm. for, for Inter. Uh, of course, he is now the, the main man of two with uh, Lukaku gone, so I think you're going to see a big year for him. Uh, for player of the year, out of left field on this one, just because of how meaningful he is to his team, I don't think that they're going to be really pushing for much. I don't think he actually even plays all year. I think there's going to be times where you see him hurt or you see him just getting rest. But I have Paolo Dybala for, for Roma. I think um, you saw the fanfare for him when he came over here, um, and he's just balled out when he's played. I think the end is near for Paolo Dybala, but I think he's still a fantastic player, and I think he gets one more hurrah before the end. Um, you have a different take on that, though. I think this is an absolute lock. People were saying after Napoli won, no, Osimhen, no, Cavaccioli is the best player in the Serie A. No, folks, you, you are, you are, you are incorrect. It is Rafa Liao. He is the best player in Italy. He is the best left winger in the world, other than Vinny Junior right now, and he will not be at Milan soon. He is going to bring them to the title, and he is going to go to a top four or three club in the summer for a large payday as he just signed a contract extension that is Rafa Liao. Can't wait for Chelsea to overpay for him as well. Uh, <laughs> love. We both have the same magic mic, fantastic keeper, uh, shine for Inter Milan in the final, uh, and it's going to continue to do that as well. Another guy I can see, to your point of Rafael Leao, that moves in the summer um, and, and does not stay with his current club, but will have a fantastic season. Now, with that out of the way, Daniel, there are matches to be played that we are much more interested in this week. That is, as I'm saying, Premier League, Bundesliga, all the domestic leagues are back. Um, we do have Premier League starts on Saturday. Bundesliga has a fantastic matchup on Friday that we'll get to here in a second. La Liga begins on Saturday as well as the Serie A. What are the games that you were watching, though? Of course, we mentioned this. We can't watch all the games. But there's just no way. So we've, we're trying to pick games that we're going to keep an eye out for that we think are most interesting for ourselves as for you, the listener. 
Daniel, what are some of those games that you are earmarking for the Premier League this weekend? Uh, City versus West Ham is going to be an intriguing game. West Ham has looked really solid, but they haven't really played anyone. So is City going to – is West Ham just going to roll over for City and just get clobbered, or are they going to put up a fight? If I remember correctly, they did put up a fight. They might have even won against City last year kind of late. Um, so that's going to be honestly a toss-up. I, I think City will win. Um, but I think it's going to be closer than people give it credit for. Uh, you know, United versus Brighton. Um, this is a huge game for United. Uh, just so much controversy and just it seems like Man U is just in flames right now. Brighton's kind of humming. Um, if Evan Ferguson plays, I think Brighton beat United here. Um, Couldn't and- agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think going back to the West Ham game quickly, never doubt David Moyes. They're going to play in that low block. Um, they're going to oh, play yeah. defensive, counterattacking football. Can City? Um, can City? If any team can do it, of course it's City. But um, you never know. I could see. I could see West Ham sneaking out a point there. Um, one of the games that I've been fascinated on. I've touched about this team all all time. We've talked on the show is Everton. Uh, big game against Arsenal. Uh, I, is this the last game for Sean Dyche? I don't know. Um, you would naturally expect Arsenal to win this game, so it's almost a loss. I feel. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I'm not too confident for Everton. Um, and then of course, you know, there are two games, Daniel, you have Liverpool on Saturday against Wolves, a big game. Um, I believe it's at Anfield. So that's a little easier than going to Molyneux. And then of course, uh, Chelsea play on Sunday. Any, any thoughts or takeaways on Liverpool for, for Saturday's game? Um, doesn't even matter if it's at Anfield. It could be at Molyneux. It could be a wet, a wet Thursday, not at Molyneux. Liverpool's going to absolutely kill this team. Uh, they just sold their best player. Um, it is actually at the Molyneux. Um, we have that early kickoff at 7.30. Um, so I'm going to enjoy us sitting at the top of that table for like a good 30 minutes before the other games start off after those three points. Probably, probably a safe bet. Chelsea have Bournemouth. That that's never easy, especially on the road. Uh, if you would think it's easy, but it's not. Uh, moving into the big matchup of the weekend, Daniel. I think this is the one that everyone's circling on the calendar, at least in our eyes. Uh, Bayern Munich take on Bayer Leverkusen Friday afternoon. Is this the game of the season for Bayer Leverkusen to show what they can do to the champions? Well, this is definitely game of the weekend. Um, if Leverkusen even draw here. Um, I think that this is where you might see cracks in, in Byron's armor, armor kind of as the season starts, uh, or as the Tuchel era starts unraveling here. And it was still early, but I, I know I took a shout that he won't be there at the end of the season. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Dortmund, will they bounce back against a very bad Freiburg? We'll see. I'm not going to put any stock in either of these teams. So I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Do you have a take on this one? Freiburg was good last year. They were su- one of the surprise teams in the Bundesliga. You know, I think Dortmund need a bounce back. I, that's the only reason why I have them here. They have not impressed me at all from what I've seen. I think they get three points, but, you know, they lost. They dropped points to to Hottenheim, um, and they looked bad against both. I'm talking myself out of it. I don't know. Coin flip. <laughs> Coin flip. Uh, in La Liga, Real Madrid take on Real Sociedad. Uh, any thoughts there on that one? Of course, Vinny Jr. is still not back. 
Um, but I think, you know, I think Madrid have enough firepower to get over a pesky Sociedad team. Uh, if not, Jude Bellingham will just put on his cape and take him across the finish line. Yeah, we could probably see a late stoppage time Jude goal. I could already kind of see it um, doing his classic handout celebration. But I do think Sociedad grab points on Madrid pushing Barca to beat Betis this week and to kind of extend themselves as the front runner in the Liga. But Betis could be could be frisky. Barca haven't been playing their best ball yet. But I after a good international break for some of their players, I think that they'll start humming. Yeah, hopefully we start to see or hear rumblings of Pedri being healthy again. Uh, there was talk of him taking the international break off to potentially come back sooner. So hopefully he gets this to get on the field. You mentioned uh, other players, Lamine Yamel earlier. Will he be on the field after playing for Spain? You would imagine so. Um, I, I do see, I know I have Betis as my fourth team, but too much firepower for Barca here. I think Barca takes it home. We mentioned the Milan Derby. Sincero will be blue this time as as Inter Milan is the home squad. Of course, as I mentioned, they both play uh, in the San Siro, so it's a little strange. Uh, but uh, any thoughts here? This is a this is a massive one, uh, Daniel. The Milan Derby, one of the strongest, biggest derbies in the world. Uh, any thoughts here and, and who comes out of this one on top? This is a coin flip. It's going to be interesting. I think there will be goals. Um, I do think that. Um, but I feel like the winner of this is going to go on and win the league. Fair enough. Can't go wrong. I mean, that's a, that's that's kind of what these games are, right? This and it has that feeling. This one in Bayern uh, on Friday, although a little bit early for them, I think Bayern Leverkusen. And there's a lot to unfold across all the leagues, as we mentioned. This is still Week Five for a lot of the leagues. Um, but you mentioned the Milan Derby potentially being a game for this for the season itself. Um, it does have that feel to it. Um, of course, Daniel, I, I didn't want to touch on some of your bets that you have here. You didn't mention those teams, so I, I felt pretty comfortable not talking about them. But um, you you had a huge parlay uh, last time out. I hope the, the listeners jumped on board, had the winnings, went to Vegas, went to Cherokee, wherever they went, celebrated. It looks like you have another one on here for, for the folks. Uh, I don't want to take away from this segment. This is your time. Tell the people how they're going to make so much money that they they sing your name in the streets going forward. I mean, that's that's the goal at the end of the day here. I want to be a man of the people here. And so we got one parlay and four best bets. All right. So for the parlay, another five-legger. Not as juicy as it was last time, but I think all of these teams get it done. I mentioned Liverpool. Absolute lock. Don't worry about them. City versus West Ham. I think City gets it done. Pep Guardiola's going to be back from his back injury, I believe. So the boys are going to be purring, ready to go. Holland did not have a great uh, international break with Norway, so I think he definitely scores as well. Spurs against Sheffield United. God, I hope Spurs can get it done. I think they will. Um, Sheffield United is not very good. And with the free-flowing football of and Postacoglu, I think they will have no problem beating the low block of Sheffield. We got Leipzig as the fourth leg against Augsburg. Leipzig have looked great. Augsburg have been kind of all over the place. Uh, I just don't think they have enough firepower to get it done. And then Arsenal against Everton. And I just, there's no way Everton gets any points from this game. There's just no shot. So this parlay is, as of now, uh, plus 370, almost four to one, still good. Um, 
not not as juicy as last time, but I think this is a, a surefire cash. Now for best bets, we have Liverpool over three and a half goals as for the game. I was really torn here. I was debating between over three and a half and Liverpool spread of one and a half. I think both are great bets. You can't go wrong with either one. But since they're at the Molyneux, I went ahead and just took the over because I think Wolves might sneak in a late goal here. Um, Bayern, Leverkusen. Bayern, Munich, and Leverkusen over three and a half. That game might have seven goals. I would even alt spread this maybe if, you, if you're feeling frisky here. I think over three and a half is, is a crazy number. Uh, Monaco and Lorient over three. Monaco love to score. They also love to concede. I think Lorient's at home, so they should grab maybe an early one. And then Monaco kind of fights back to cash over three. And then last but not least, we have Leipzig versus Augsburg. Augsburg scores a decent bit, but they also concede. So I think that Leipzig will have no problem kind of firing a a few past them and Augsburg might sneak a, a last second one. So that is DB's best bets. Thank you for tailing. This is not financial advice. Past performance is not indicative of future results, but for me, it is. Thank you, Matt. Well, guys, you heard it there. Financial advice, throw all your money at it, all of your savings. These are going to hit no matter what. And if they don't just reach out to Daniel on Twitter, you can find him at, uh, Liverpool CLTFC. You can find me at Life of M. Gesslin. Again, we cannot thank you guys enough for listening. We enjoy talking about European football, but of course this wouldn't be anything without you guys. You can always connect with us on, on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to your podcast. Please download, subscribe, leave a five-star rating. Uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, we will start having a Twitter handle for the show, and you'll be able to reach out to us directly there. But in the meantime, feel free to just give Daniel a hard time about his bets, about his predictions for the league, anything that you want to talk to us about.